so we have just uh, touched upon the broad back background or the vast ground on which the yoga takes place some of the fundamentals and uh, basically there are three sessions so i suppose in this one we can touch upon a little bit more upon it plus the practice part and the third session after the break could be question answers this this how i suppose would be a simple way to go about so what is the goal that shurbindo has uh, put before us because as i said there are many yogic systems and each takes us to a point some take us to a point of no return which is what is called as moksha it, that's how it is understood that moksha is a point of no return and implied within it is this idea that this world is a veil of sorrows and suffering but there is another world or a state or a domain which we can claim the human soul can claim it has an access and that world is a world of beatitude delight so there is a world beyond which is a world of beatitude delight freedom infinity eternity call it by whatever name so infinity means that there is no limit to things it's a limitless wisdom limitless love limit not even abundance limitless which is what we are seeking it's a world of eternity eternal world meaning thereby that there is nothing which can be destroyed by time here we see that these ups and downs these swings because of time and because time cannot reach there whatever is there there is eternal love immortal happiness immortal love eternal happiness so all these things are there this is the great discovery of the yogis but that wonderful state which is sometimes called as divine perfection here we have this this world perfection and perfection basically implies two things one is that each quality within us each aspect of our existence is raised to its highest divine possibility right now we think human mind and its working its rational blabbering <laughs> twittering if i may use the word is the utmost but twittering is a very limited thing it doesn't hold more than a few bytes but we think that this is the ultimate and so everything want to understand on this basis but this can be upgraded there is a domain where knowledge is self existent here we have to strive and struggle i want to know this so how much i have to labor but there knowledge is effortless why because we come in contact with the all knowing okay people say okay that knowledge means okay that's all about god no even for the world why because this world is god fulfilled in outward outwardness so even world knowledge whatever is needed for us to grow to progress all that knowledge exists in some domain but one can access that domain all knowing all powerful domain right now our will is striving stumbling with great difficulty we try to acquire something and the day we have acquired we begin to lose it we have purchased very good what no now nobody purchases costly sarees okay something very expensive from amazon we have paid and now starts the worry when will it reach 
Will it won't be? Will it be the right thing, good thing, correct thing? Have I made the right choice? Now people don't bother all this when it comes to money. But still, when it comes, there is always, it comes with a limited span of time, limited period. So, all this right now, our will strains just to be a little happy. Now imagine if will, our will joins with the will of the omnipotent. Of course, it, it is not like fulfilling my desires and fancies. There is nobody on earth can, you know, life is not meant for that, let's agree. Because there will be chaos. So, the world is meant to fulfill the divine will. And that's something beautiful. It's not divine, it's not like an arbitrary depot who wants to make us suffer. No, he wants us to be in bliss. So, this world is meant to fulfill that divine will. And in that fulfillment lies peace, joy, Everything else. So will raised to its utmost limit. To what extent? The mother says that normally she gives the distinction between say when you are become a divine healer. So divine healer, now she says you don't have to start demonstrating okay I am a healer and I am going to do some magic and some practices and then people become fixed to a way, method. Do this and therefore you will be healed. No, for the divine healer, if there is the divine impulsion from within, you will not act according to a standard format. But if there is the impulsion, all that you need to be so say is, may it be so. See, that was the power of divine carries within him, the power of tathastu. May it be so. But you won't say it on the basis of somebody else dictating terms, not because somebody you prefer because so all these things have to be got rid of it's part of the yoga to ultimately surrender the will completely to the divine will means to get beyond all preferences opinions desires so that's a whole journey but the will can be raised to that level that look at you know yoga yogeshwar krishna much before anything has happened and started he shows duryodhan that this is going to be the fate of your entire army and that will fulfills itself through all the challenges, all the difficulties, all the Kurushetra because it is omnipotent. Our human love, oh, the most miserable fellow who always seeks joy, love is a child of beatitude and therefore it always seeks joy and beauty and harmony is the nature of love. But the moment it is born, it is riddled with disharmony. It is riddled with quarrels. It is riddled with all kinds of things. Now imagine if this love can be upgraded to divine love. Look how he pours love. He doesn't, uh, see, if one moment mother says, divine were to think or feel the way human beings do, this world would collapse. If one moment the divine says, oh, this fellow... I have been pouring so much love and look at this fellow, he doesn't even care about me, this world would collapse. But imagine if this can, if this can, you know, uh, our human love can be upgraded to the divine love. Our life energy, if it can be driven by the luminous force, Shavandu gives this beautiful example when he talks about four aids in great detail in synthesis of yoga. But there is one of those books called Essays in Philosophy 
and yoga or assess divine and human where there is this beautiful little uh, essay yoga and its objects and there he brings for the first time these four aids from Sanat Sujatya. So he says that uh, the ship on which we are going to ply through the waters of life it is Brahma Vidya, it is the highest wisdom, highest knowledge. It may sound impractical because we don't know what, we want to just have a sea bath, not realizing there are crocodiles hidden everywhere. So this is the ship and it is being, faith is the compass and it is impelled by the divine Shakti, not that fuel of desire. Therefore its reaching is sure. So he speaks about these four eights, human aspiration and faith, which is the sadhaks. Then the scripture, which is the reading. Uh, reading is not just to understand. Yes, that is one part, but it awakens. People often ask how to light up the aspiration, how to make it grow. Very simple. Read Mother and Shirobindo. It's light and fire encapsulated. Words are capsules, that's all. When we read, the capsule opens. And the fire does its work, magic. And then yes, of course, the divine grace. There is no yoga without the divine grace. Here, the representative of the divine or the one, the advent, incarnation of the divine, doesn't matter which way we put it, is the divine mother for this yoga. Because prakriti has come out of paraprakriti and the jiva has also come out of paraprakriti. So she can handle the equation. We can't handle the equation between us and nature. Nature is very tricky. It will, you know, as Shubhinda says in one of the poems, he said, I am egoless, free, then sore because his dinner was not ready. And I asked him, are you so very sure? He said, it's not me, my belly God that is unsteady. So there are so many ways nature nachows. It will give hundred justification. Are anger is natural. Are somebody did this to you, why won't be angry? That's nature. But if you want to go to supernature, there is only compassion. Supernature, you don't say somebody is angry, therefore I should be angry. You feel sad for whom? For that person. In inferior nature, we are afraid of snake. But in supernature, we see, look at this creature. is the lowliest of creature. Hiding all the time inside a hole. Running away from light. He is afraid of, actually snake is very afraid of us. Carrying poison inside him. So, you feel compassion. That's where we see Shiva. Now, this is not to say pick up a snake and tie around the neck. Only unless you are a Shiva. I am talking of even snakes which come in human varieties and forms. But yes, have compassion. He is spitting poison called anger because he can't help it. So compassion understands that one is caught in ignorance. Therefore one is what one is. So the whole thing changes. And eventually even this body must wear the same dress which the divine wears in his Swarupa. Now this is perfection. So first is each aspect of our existence lifted up to its utmost divine possibility. 
Second, in a total harmony with each other. Right now the gods quarrel within us. The goddess of knowledge says, I am better or Lakshmi, you are better. Rudra or Ashutosh, two aspects of the same. But in the divine they are in perfect harmony with each other. So that is what is the next project divine. Up till now, at best it has been a Devamanav, the Arya, the Aryan ideal. But that too was an ideal. Very few really embodied. Very few. Because it's so difficult. Look at the history of, I mean, Ramayana talks about it, but only Ram, you hardly find anyone embodying the Aryan gunas. Few sages like Vasist. And similarly in the times of Mahabharata. But it was the ideal that yes, this is possible, doable. King Harishchandra, Shivi, some of them embodied the great... But still that is subject to... The ego is still there. The ego of the doer, the ego of I am the one. But here the next level is the divine perfection. So that divine perfection in our everyday life is what Shurabindu wants to establish. We can use modern terms, we can use the word wholeness. Then we have to use the word divine wholeness. Now what comes from this is that no aspect of life has to be therefore neglected and said this is for the devil and that is for the divine. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. All must belong to the one. And this is where we come to certain tricky things. The mother at one place says, you know, all these uh, teachings, some of them say things like you have to rise beyond good and evil. Now see, the problem with scripture is it's a double-edged sword. Get it wrongly and the sword will fall upon our neck. Okay, that means I can do good or evil without impunity because there is no good and evil. God is beyond good and evil. That's not what it says. It says there is something greater than good and evil. We may not understand it. In the divine action is not decided by good and evil, but by another logic, another standard, which we have to discover. So, where does this good and evil figure out? In our ordinary human life, it is indispensable to understand the distinction. But at the same time, we must understand that it also prevents our offering to the divine. We have to lay bare everything before the divine. Because everything has to be transformed. See, if I am hiding behind shame, no, no, this I can't show. I must wear my best dress before the divine. So thought the gopis. They wore nice dress. Till Krishna, this okay, we are going for a bath. And Krishna is playing the flute, magical flute. So when they want to come out, they see all their dresses have been taken away. So they say, please give us a dress. No, no, no. You come out, I'll give you the dress. No, no, we can't. You love me, isn't it? I see, Shubhinder takes this aphorism. That somebody with a mystic bent will see in it a deep symbol of the soul's utter abandon before the divine. I am as I am, what people may say, good, bad, all is there, mixture of, all of us are mixed bags. But I place it before you. Even things which may appear despicable, unspeakable. Mother says, don't hide before the divine. 
that is also the story of he says but the typical puritan will see in it something else and he says as is the mind so does it see <laughs> so we have the story of kubja i think must have heard about the story of kubja she is a woman which is bent ugly woman so when krishna is coming to mathura this is no only good very nice dressed people should be there to greet him he must feel that he is very welcome but behind is all kansa's plan see how we can be fooled by the welcome shalya was also fooled so we should not go by this outer anyways so as is coming kubja also wants to see him no no you are ugly hide in the background so he is she is hiding crying her silent tears and suddenly krishna stops and looks towards her hey you where are you hiding krishna has this knack of bringing out whatever is hidden he brought out from arjuna's heart all the attachment suddenly before the war because he knows this fellow in the middle is suddenly going to start crying wuha so <laughs> let him do the wuha now <laughs> let me sort him out he is not yet sorted he is wonderful instrument but he is not yet sorted out so in the beginning itself he is is uh, vaishnavi maya brings out everything now you go into that field so kubja now they can't stop because krishna is asking so she comes and then he says why are you bent like this and holds and she be- transforms into a beautiful maiden the story is an indication like all these stories so when it is said that we give to the divine offer to the divine then we normally give only one part that part which is looks good but whom are we trying to impress frankly he who can see through everything this is what is called as sincerity transparency everything we don't have to either judge ourselves high oh i am such an instrument nor we have to judge ourselves like those uh, medieval christian mystics i am the worst of all and if you say i am the worstest worst then you are the greatest mystic we don't have to say that that is a kind of vanity with utter humility this is what is right now this play of nature and i offer it to you then the change starts everything has its divine possibility shobindo uses the word each part in us desires its absolute but before we can do it there is one more step which is required it's a almost an indispensable step and it is to learn to step back from the whirl of nature and be as a witness it's there in the gita the mother speaks about it stepping back we are caught in the current of forces whatever happens we react we get driven into it not realizing whatever we hold on to that holds us nobody holds us we hold on and when we hold we are held so this is the whole trick that's why she says hold on to the divine and you will be held by the divine so we have this idea of good and evil so we identified with good and we close our eyes to the evil our own of course 
But we see that evil projected in everybody in the world. So everybody is bad, but I am a good person. I put a nice cover. Because I am identified with my goodness. It's okay. It's nice in normal life. But for yoga, one has to step back. From that which seems good and that which seems evil. And step back, find that vantage point inside. One must become, that's what is meant truly by Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, Swadhyaya. A student of oneself. How can we become a student of ourselves if we do not objectivize our life and see it? So every day the mother says, before we go to sleep, project yourself like on a cinema screen. And see where all we really deviated from our own deepest truth. Nobody else has to know or see. It's not like we have to announce to people. It's nobody. Nobody is between us and the divine. But we ourselves. I'm not saying we should become overcritical, hyper, but just see quietly, without judging, without being harsh. Maybe I got angry in the flow of anger, rush of anger. Maybe I spoke in a very unkind way, unthinkingly. Maybe I was driven by a passion which was leading me into a blind alley, leading me towards death. So when we look at these things every day, a time should be there when we see them and then offer it to the Divine. Mother, this is yours. I have this tendency, Mother. See, I was driven by anger. So many times one can catch oneself. Afterwards it becomes a way of life. In the beginning one does it. One discovers a double consciousness. One which is flowing in the moment. The other thing, no, no, no. Even while one is speaking in a way which one should not, because there is a bit of harshness, maybe impatience, maybe anger, something has come up, something stands back and observes that, no, this is not how a child of the mother would do. And so you offer it to the mother. No guilt. Guilt has no place in yoga. It's like a scientist who is handling things. He's not getting guilty. He's working upon them or allowing the divine to work upon it and expose them. This is the basic practice to learn to step back, not be caught in the whirlpool of nature. And then we have to keep exposing or offering it to the divine. Now from this, several other basic things emerge. Now we know about the power of satsang. It is there in our scriptures. But there is also something called as the power of dusang, which we often forget. As long as one is leading a normal life or so-called whatever life, it's okay, it doesn't matter what company we keep. But as we begin to grow in aspiration, then we have to be careful about the company we keep. Not with a view of racism, superiority, inferiority, none of these things. But just as if a scientist in any pursuit, if one wants to pursue even ordinary life, something, then would not one say that, okay, this is my... Imagine a student wanting to study, I can take example of medicine or anything. He says, it's okay, somebody suddenly calls, chalo, aaj ye karenge, we'll go out, have fun. Then obviously he won't be able to really succeed. He has to be focused, concentrated. So aspiration is literally, the more we concentrate, the more it grows and 
with concentration renunciation this is it they go together they are the two limbs shurabindu speaks of of the yoga if there is no renunciation there is no energy left for concentration what is concentration is a gathering of energies what is renunciation it has nothing to do with outer show in fact that is dangerous because people start believing that you are a guruji and till then it is okay but if you start believing you are a guruji then you are <laughs> renunciation shobindo uses the word like the gita is an inner tyaga not sanyasa so sanyasa is required when the consciousness is very crude then you have to stay away from crude things there is a very extreme method but tyaga inwardly we renounce not the basic movement of nature but the things which are distorting and covering it love is not to be renounced but lust has to be renounced strength is not to be renounced but the feeling of violence within anger that has to be renounced strength is divine majestic even war can be fought and it has to be fought at times but without hatred hatred has to be renounced jealousy has to be renounced doing well with excellence is not to be renounced but ambition has to be renounced why because it diverts us but to do well any work which we are doing because it's a worship so yoga leads to karma sukhaashalam naturally because all these distracting elements are gone so renunciation and concentration go together and offering to the divine mother growth of aspiration it has to be tend in in yoga in the ancient vedic yoga it was known as the offspring is the kumar kumar kartike so is to be nurtured tended so in the beginning it is not something which one goes out sharing and mixing and mingling it has it has to be nurtured nice like you nurture an offspring so how do we nurture an offspring you have to give it food when it grows up it will find its own food so how do we give food again the best food for the psychic being is the divine cow's food mother aditi is sometimes shown as the gomata is the divine cow no so from her udder the calf drinks milk it is the symbol of milk of knowledge there is a line in savitri he has drunk from the breast of the mother of the worlds that's why she is pictureized sometimes as cow later on she becomes kamadhenu but original sense is this that that must be how does it get contact by the contact and it's seeking for knowledge it automatically receives all that is necessary from the divine mother but instead we go for formula food so for <laughs> formula food is not good in the long run all the allergies and all these come through that so go to the original cow our divine mother aditi and drink from her much more than what is needed so mother's name contact with her again her words they open the door to this divine knowledge we grow strong this is there in the vedas 
that they often describe the psychic being as an offspring. And that's why they used to say hundred offsprings, thousand offsprings, ten thousand offsprings. And we are again, how can you have so many children? That apart. Offspring is the new energy which comes out of the meeting of the Purusha and Prakriti. Both are within us. In inferior nature, it takes the form of Purusha here and Prakriti there. But they are both within us. And when they meet rightly, when they meet ignorantly, then the offspring is also these Asuric energies. And when they meet rightly, when Purusha is upgrading himself to become one with the divine Purusha and the Prakriti is upgrading herself, then these energies are the new possibilities that manifest new possibility of creation, of art, of culture, dance, music, everything. That's how the great past of India we see, 64 Vidyas that emerged. So this is how the new creation manifests. New creation will manifest from within as our soul and our nature unite with the Divine Mother and the union is affected through constant offering. And there is always something to offer, something to give. And the more we give, the more the yoga proceeds. Meditation has its place? Yes, very much it has its place. Provided it doesn't become exclusive that for hours, for some people it may be necessary. There are people to whom the mother did advise two, three hours of meditation. They used to do it. Pavitrada also. Some have their turn for meditation. But it's not that everybody must sit in meditation. True meditation is to be constantly thinking of the divine. Meditation is a mental activity. To be thinking of the divine. To be concentrated on the divine. And one can be in that state anywhere. In the bazaar, in, while driving the car, while being driven in the car, while eating, while everything. One can be focused here. So repeatedly, she, foc- she brings us back to the one thing needful and not so much about the outer processes. One may sit in apparently in meditation, but one may be, may be meditating upon, as Sri Aurobindo said, two, three very nice humorous stories that somebody say, oh, he sits so much, he meditates. Shivinda humorously says, yes, upon his wife. <laughs> he could see through. <laughs> Another one was where somebody asked Shivinda this practice for Radha's dance. So they said, we want to dance there, but below there is a sadhak's room. So, uh, what should we do? So Shivinda said, he is too serious to be danced over. <laughs> After some time, he said, now you can dance there. Why? He is no more serious now. <laughs> he had his way of, you know, Shubindo, such a humor. So, outer things, one may have a practice for each one. There should be a kind of practice and, and a ritual. But the core is important. For some people sitting in a posture, some people sitting on a chair, all that is the secondary aspect Many times we focus too much on the external practice and lose the inner truth. So this is meditation to be constantly thinking of the divine. This is bhakti to turn all our feelings to the divine. He is the mother. 
he is the father he is our security he is the giver of plenty he is the friend to whom one can say anything people often say oh i am very alone lonely there is a difference between being lonely and being alone alone is strength lonely is weakness this is the difference so it's a wonderful thing because when we are alone we can make divine as our friend it's something so beautiful everything one can share with the divine and the beauty is he will listen you know that story and really even embodied divine listens one thing which one learns from shurbindo is infinite patience many things one learns same question again and again this way that way never you will see impatience in shurbindo's answer i have already replied why don't you read it refer it there you people don't read the arya you are troubling me you don't know you are taking my time never hundreds of times he is replying where will we find such a friend and we have this amrita he knew only tamil mainly tamil he was you know young lad of 15 and shurbindo knew tamil but not that way as he knew uh, you know english sanskrit french so he would come every day and uh, he wanted can i come and speak to you shubindo had given him time so evening he'll come from his school that kalve on that you'll see that in pondicherry and he would throw his bag and come and talk to shubindo imagine a 15 year old boy talking to him one hour <laughs> and he says later i don't know what i was blabbering because uh, shubindo would just smile because he would not understand tamil my chaste tamil flowing through and he would hardly once in a while say something but the change was taking place see all yoga is an interchange as the vedic rishis say between gods they use the word gods and man here it is divine and man don't worry he knows all languages kannada bengali tamil odia latin french call it and he knows but to form a bond and link when all feelings turn toward the divine as a friend as a lover beloved i can understand but how about lover he is the only one who loves waits for us eternally is there any lover who waits after some time 3 years 2 years lover says well give me a commitment are you with me or you are not with me <laughs> he never asks eternally forever that's how shubindo describes in savitri the lyric of love that waits through time this these are discoveries one makes and then one feels oh my god she has been waiting and we have been just losing ourselves in so many other lovers and beloveds whereas the one divine lover and beloved has been waiting this is not to say okay start breaking up from <laughs> well see the lover and beloved one lover and beloved in everyone that is what we are seeking for that's the earthly play meant to be so to turn all feelings same with the will when we turn all our will toward the divine when instead of serving our self interest we may even be do work in the ashram or center or anywhere yet we may be serving our self interest i mean i a position that chair is empty ha mere ko baithne denge bhagwan to bahut acha hoga and if we don't get the chair we start accusing 
Oh, see, this undeserving fellow, he is seated there. Implicit is that I am the deserving one. Huh? If I will sit, I will bring some God knows what changes. Are you? Don't worry. Every dog has his day when he sits on a chair. <laughs> but the question is whether he is faithful to his master or not. <laughs> so this is how one has to look at it. Chair or ground or here or there. To serve her will. And for this we don't have to be here, there in an ashram or anywhere. In every activity. So one would say, I don't know what is the divine will. Yes, obviously we don't know. To start with, let us begin with our ignorance. But we can always say this, this is my little will. I don't know how to serve you. I am offering it to you. You take me, make me serve you. I don't know. It takes time because once he says, okay, accept it. So there is a period in which nothing may happen. In yoga it's like, the chick is being prepared inside the egg. And one day she says, Okay, come, fly with me. Then we have the story of the Jonathan Livingstone seagull. I must have read that book, one of the famous books, Jonathan Livingstone seagull. Nalinda quotes this story. The story of a seagull, she is flying low, but she wants to fly up. So seagulls tell her, no, 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 we are not supposed to fly up. But we have wings, no, 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 we are meant to be near the sea. Why? Because fishes are there, easy. What will you do if you fly up? You will miss on all the fishes. He said, but I feel like flying up. Well, feeling is okay, it's an irrational imagination. Till one day she sees the seagull flying up and she is amazed, mesmerized. And then finally that seagull comes and says, you want to fly? Yes, come. So she starts looking all around and says, no, no, leave them there. They are happy with their fishing. Come. And then through all the time, it's a beautiful story, book. Please read it, one of those very inspiring books. And then finally it wants to come back and help these other seagulls to learn to fly. So yoga will also have these three stages. One when we are caught up in the ordinary life of ignorance with everything and we want but we want to fly. This fellow is marked already for that higher life. Second when we begin to disconnect from life as it is. So people will call you asocial. If they call antisocial please tell them technically it is not right. Asocial is okay. Right word. Antisocial is somebody who is against, who is disruptive disruptive, disruptive, does illegal things. See, asocial, yes. So one goes through that phase when, you know, people start feeling about, yeah, this fellow is, you know, whatever, fill in the blanks. Don't worry about it. And then the third stage when one has learned all the tricks of the diving and flying and then one comes, one can be here, there, anywhere. So all yoga implies these three stages. One when we are fully going on with life just as it is, then something awakens. Then we have to take that route, narrow path through which we have to force open the door. Many things will drop off. People will call names. Anyways, they will call names, by the way. So, it's okay. And then the third stage is when we come back. So, that's the story of the seagull flying. So, there are within us these possibilities. We have to nurture them by aspiration. 
faith, constant referral, offering. Yoga is at the end an inner process. It is not something which is visible or tangible on the surface. Surface change comes much later. And we should not even care about, you know, trying to... It is better to be a yogi than look like a yogi. Ashwabinda says, do not pretend. Mother says, do not pretend, be. The divine is not impressed. Oh, yogi Raj is coming. <laughs> she will say, come, come, sit down. Inwardly, to be in a state of yoga. That's how we see even in Sanatana Dharma that there were yogis who were fighting on the battlefield of Kurushetra. They were not just one yogi. They were yogis. They were not ordinary beings. Each one in his own right. And that is the great civilization. Now this idea that yoga, something separate, withdraw from world, this must go. This is a yoga. All life is yoga. Means literally that, that every activity of life, eating, cooking, sleeping, going for a good marathon, meeting people, everything, watching a cinema, yes, dancing, working as a computer scientist, all this warfare, business, all this can and must turn into yoga. This once we have it within us that it's no more cutting off from life and doing some activities. All this must become a yoga. That's what we see in the ashram experiment. Teaching, education, every activity is represented. It can and must become part of the yoga. How? By the shift inside of attitude and motive. If I run a marathon and if I, do, I am doing it to get the t-shirt in which I can take a selfie and post it, marathon, then that's not yoga. Even if I have named it as Sri Aurobindo 150 years marathon run. God is not impressed by all that. Huh? But if I am running and offering this movement of the leg muscles and hand muscles and the heart muscles to her with her joy, with her name in my heart, that is the real marathon. So, it is every activity. Cinema, people asked mother, because there is cinema in the ashram. They asked mother that, you know, how is cinema? See, there is a way you can watch cinema without being affected. You can learn from that. So, if we learn to detach, it's a symbol of life. And we can look at it and so much we can always learn and grow all the time. This is the true yoga of the body, where the entire bodily activities, we become conscious and they become a means of offering. Cooking can become yoga, then it becomes prasad. So, it is not an automatic process that just because I am in the ashram, uh, therefore I am engaged in yoga. No, it doesn't work like that. Being in the ashram or a center or anywhere, it's a possibility. That's all. But a possibility is like I may carry all the time my cell phone in the pocket, but I don't know how to use it. So it is there. It's a possibility to communicate, but I don't know how to use it. And I am too shy to take it out. I am comparing my cell phone with others and going on with the old way. So through these ways and means, meditation, Bhakti. Bhakti here is again not an exclusive bhakti where we are shutting ourselves in a temple with the deity. But we have to discover the deity in everyone and in everything. 
So Shivindu used the word universalizing the conception of bhakti. Same with jnana. Jnana here is not pandit that certain scriptures one reads and speaks about them. But life becomes a scripture. How life becomes a scripture when the divine writes it? Your life is this, that. Life becomes a scripture. Our life becomes a song. Actions become worship. So that's how karma, karma yoga in this. So that every instrument, so finally this last distinction between ordinary karma yoga and the karma yoga that Shobindu speaks about. So he's used the word transformation. So it is the divine perfection in every detail which is the goal. Transformation is necessary for that. Why? Because if the body remains what it is, if the mind remains what it is, we cannot manifest that divine perfection. So we connect with the original goal of nature is to manifest God. Whom she is hiding. For a long time she doesn't know. She is building forms, she is trying to search in various ways. Then comes man, who is also a creation of nature. But there is something within him through which he can become conscious of that presence which is hidden in nature. When he becomes conscious, he is to collaborate. On one side, he is to collaborate with the divine. He has the original, he, can, he should get the original script. And on the other side, he has to help nature to make that perfect abode of the Lord. So, goal of this yoga is not Moksha, the way it is understood, moksha is needed in terms of freedom from ignorance. But the goal is to manifest the divine, which is the original plan of creation. And if you look at it, life in a certain way, everything is an effort to manifest the divine. Each uh, aspect of nature, each movement, each object is a thought of God. Look at the mountain and immediately we will think of Aspiration, mounting up. This, the word is mounting, climbing, ascension. So nature has created mountain. Look at the galaxy, the vast Sagar, the ocean of milk, the tremendous wisdom that is there in the stars, governing the movement of the stars. Look at the river and we'll see how life ever changes and life is yet ever the same. Go to its bed, it is the same. Look at a river, it has an origin and it has its goal towards which it is flowing. So everything in creation, every activity, even the most ignorant activity, basically nature is struggling and trying to somehow manifest the God she finds hidden inside. And therefore she builds man in which by becoming conscious of the divine presence, we can fulfill this great goal. And that is the meaning behind the phrase, all life is yoga. To fulfill God in man is man's manhood. Not man in, in a racist way, nowadays we have to use that word. <laughs> fulfill God in man is man manhood. And the power that mediates between this aspiration and its fulfillment is the Divine Mother. She is the key to the yoga. She is the Paraprakriti was taken a material form. So she becomes at once the living example as well as the power. The more we come in contact with her, we are exposing our nature to her touch.
She is the Paris money, the alchemist energy. So of course when we do work for her, when we look at her photograph, when we listen to it, I think, was it February 1960, 29th February, today's music? Correct? Yeah, very beautiful. Mother's music. Where does it so? All these are means to come in contact with her. She has opened so many doors. Look at her picture and one is in contact with her. Think about her, one is in contact with her. Call her name simply. Ma, 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 ma. And one comes in contact with her. Listen to her music, one comes in contact with her. Go to the ashram, visit the center, bow down at her feet, one comes in contact with her. Arrange flowers for her, one comes in contact with her. Wash her temple floors, one comes in contact with her. Work in any place with this idea that she has put me here and I may be in bank or here or there, but she has appointed me here. I am her representative here. Till she bids me change the place. And if she bids me change the place, without any, oh, this was the best place, she knows best. So equanimity becomes a fundamental practice of yoga. Why? Because she knows where I should be. And one does the best because one is the divine representative. In our actions, we are representing the divine mother. People, when they see, they should ask, who is this person sitting at the counter, so wonderful? Never saw him get angry. Always with his smiling, peaceful countenance. Even if they don't ask and you don't say a word about mother, she will pour something into them. And that way mother's work is done. So it is not about doing big things and big activities. In everyday life, walking will become a tirthyatra every day. Why? Because wherever I am going, if you carry this presence, it becomes a tirtha, pilgrimage. So when we lead, lead life like that, when we are with friends in every activity and we remember her, offer it to her, open to her, then whole life becomes a yoga. Secretly it is already a yoga because nature is trying that. But then when this subconscious yoga going on in nature becomes conscious yoga through aspiration and faith in man, through offering in man, then it becomes meaningfully all life is yoga. So I think I'll uh, stop here. We can take a five minute break. People may want to go to washroom or you want to continue with, uh, with the questions. We can start with questions. We have it. Yes, please. Yes. Yes, yes. No, don't jump. Yes, yes. Most people it happens like this, that they start the journey because the divine calls us first. 
So we don't know why we land up. All of us, in fact. But at some point, we have to take it that this is the train in which we are sitting. Now at some point, we have to take it that I must know where is this train going. It is also true in life, isn't it? Life itself is a journey. But imagine if I don't know where I should go. It's a frightening thing. So at some point, we must try to figure out inside. Stopping train, we don't have to worry. They have this connection between driver and guard. They sort it out. Huh? We have to tell the conductor, I have mistakenly sat in this train. <laughs> My train is going as well. He said, don't worry. Next station, I'll pull the chain, come out. It will come after two hours, sit into it. That's not an issue at all. So, even flights, people, you know this Three Idiots film. Even flights, they divert. But the point is, we should be clear. So, if I am sitting, why? Because if I am not clear, then even while I am in the train, I will not be able to take the fullness of that experience and it's quite likely, quite likely, I have seen this happen, actually seen. We will reach the destination and say, the real destination and say, this is not where I want to come. That also happens. I met people. And it's a very strange paradox and I'll give you one example. People, for example, they recently somebody wrote a book on Auroville, the utopia that something failed or something like that. So somebody asked my comment. I said, people want a ready-made lunch, McDonald's and KFC. Even if we enter a utopia and we are not ready for it because we don't want to do labor. We want a ready-made utopia where I'll go and enjoy. So I tell them the story of Shiva. Diti goes once and tells Shiva, you are being very unfair. Gods are very unfair. Why? What happened? See, all these gods are enjoying in heaven. And to my children, you have given patal. He says, but they are having all the riches. What is there? You see, when you read Mahabharata, he goes into Naglok, full of riches. All. What is the problem? He says, no, no, but I want that. He says, okay, if you want, okay. He says, is it? Yeah, I will give you that so that you don't accuse me of impartiality. Uh, of partiality. He says, what do we have to do? Nothing. Jyotirling, Someshwara. Put milk, go into heaven. Huh? As simple, yes. Milk is that knowledge, no? Little, whatever you little bit know, you pour there and go. So they are very happy, super. They are celebrating. Last night in Patal Lok. Now from tomorrow we all will go to heaven. So, they start, they have no idea what heaven is. And they have got a ticket, free lunch. So, all the gods are worried. My God, what is he is known to do? He must be in one of those high states. And he has given this boon. And they tell everybody, say, now Shiva, we can't follow his boon, no? So they go and everybody enters heaven. Gods are quietly watching. They have helpless. <laughs> Shiva's boon. So the moment they go, first they enjoy the colonnades and the nice places. Then one of them says, what is this cow on the road? Kamadheno. What does she do? Fulfills your wishes. Now they say, why she should be on the road? She should be in my house. They start fighting. For Kamadheno. So... <laughs> That's how they are evicted from heaven because they didn't know the rules of the game. So, it's important to understand, very important to understand. 
why, where we are going. In fact, there are only three things that we must know very clearly in life. Who am I? That's what the story of the Sphinx is. That she asks only one question. She doesn't ask identity, job, profession, education, qualification, nothing. She asks only, who art thou in this dungeon laboring? That reply, for they who cannot die, she slays them and their mangled bodies lie upon the highways of eternity. Therefore, if thou wouldst live, answer this first one thing. Who art thou in this dungeon laboring? So if I say I am this body, gone. The day I say I am child of the mother, not because mentally, but has the true inner conviction in the heart, then she dies, Sphinx dies, lets us pass. So who am I? First thing, we should be very clear. We may be in ashram, sitting in the high speed bullet train, but we will get disoriented, it won't serve the purpose. Even in the train we will be cribbing, crying, when we reach there we will say, Oh, God has brought us to this horrible place. I have seen people come to centers, ashram and cry. But they will never want to go away from there. <laughs> because something within knows. So who am I? Second is where am I coming from? Who are my purvaj? So important. Who are my purvaj? I feel so happy. Even in the Indian context. That my purvaj. They had this courage. Dadichi. Shibi. That's why these stories, Raja Harishchandra, Mandhata, Dilip, you know, they are my... And if we go still further from the divine, it's so beautiful. Then that's my... Where am I going? Third question, most important. So one has to answer. When we answer, we don't worry about the speed. There is an automatic system. The door opens when your station comes. It's the day we decide that this is where I want to go and if perchance we are in the wrong train onto a path which is not meant for us or was meant for us up to a certain point, let me put it like that, then you have those wonderful automated door systems. They will not only open. If you delay, you are pushed out like Vibhishan. That's what happened to him. No, he was enjoying life. Ah, it's okay. My brother is the king of the three worlds. And one day his brother pushes him out to the feet of Rama. So there comes a time when this door opens. Several times these doors and windows open. Unfortunately, most of the times it takes no heed. Till one day somebody pushes us out. And we say, who pushed me? Who pushed me? But train is gone. Now this is the other train. But when the other train comes, sit into that. Don't wait because frequency of the divine train is not coming at two minute interval. And it is a leap of faith. It cannot be, everything cannot be known. So one leaps into that and goes and then everything else. So it's very important to have the, nobody in the beginning knows. Even if one knows it's not there with clarity. We use even the word divine but we don't know what it means. So we have our conceptions. That is not a problem at all because the journey is in ignorance. It is enough that something is drawing us towards that. That's enough. And with passage of time, we must become more and more clear and then the train will stop. Because he is the driver, conductor, guard, helper, everything. 
It's a one man train. <laughs> huh. Okay, one, one more question we'll take, then we'll. Huh. Ah. And surrender is very difficult. And the most difficult. Absolutely. Because the everyday routine enters and we just move away from that. Routine is not a problem. That routine can be surrendered. But we are surrendered to so many to wife, to husband, to child, to desires. To name, fame, money, what is it that we are not surrendered to? Now this transfer of allegiance is the problem of surrender. Routine is not a problem. Nobody is asking that you should do different things. Yoga is not about doing different things. It is about doing the same thing differently. It's not about doing extraordinary things, but doing ordinary things with the extraordinary inner attitude. So this surrender implies a constant remembrance. This surrender means, now I will obey your will. See, this is the difference. I'll just close with this little story. Not story, an observation one can make. So there is this wild serpent, everybody is scared of, full of poison. Then one day, the sapera, that snake charmer catches. Okay. So snake charmer catches, what does he do first thing? Takes away the poison tooth. Gone. Then slowly trains the serpent. Very difficult. Then he learns to listen to the snake charmer's bean and begins to dance. Then after some time, when now this is a story we know, but what is the next stage of the serpent? That as he dances to the tune of the bean, one day he takes fascination to, where is my origin? Then Sheshana comes. Where is my goal? Shiva's neck. So he becomes Vasuki. So we are also like this wild serpent in the uh, wilds. Fearful, full of fear and from whom people are afraid. Now the snake charmer, the divine first comes as the snake charmer or the flute player. And then we go slowly towards and then he takes away and finally we reach the final consummation. So, what has the snake done? Nothing. He just followed the lead of the snake charmer. So, the flute player, the snake charmer I know is not a very, flute player sounds very nice, sophisticated because Krishna is a bit more sophisticated. Shiva is Pashupati. So, he picks up snakes and turns them into Vasuki. And Krishna calls cows. <laughs> but nevertheless, that's what is required. To be outwardly doing the same routine but inwardly tuned to the flute. That's all that is required. Same work. We are not expected to uh, sit in meditation for two hours, go to a center. If we can do these things, very good. But if we cannot do these things, it doesn't matter. So many have realized the divine that way. The mother herself, their letters of Shirobindo, some we call here, some we do not call here. There are many disciples of mine who are outside Shirobindo's letter. So, wherever I am, whatever I may be doing, let me dedicate it to the divine presence within me. And then if there is a need to change the circumstances, she will do it. We should not push ourselves abnormally and 
by imagining that that is a better circumstance. No. She will do it when the time comes, if there is a need. There may not be a need for our evolution. So, surrender is... But then it means that now in my life, surrender to the divine means no more complaints and grudges. If I have really surrendered, that means I have to go by this faith that she is managing my life. I must do my bit. And if circumstances seem very difficult, then still, if it is a Mahabharata, Kurushetra, still you take me through it. That's what surrender. But the moment we complain, it's a sign that we have not surrendered. We are still driven by desire and ego self. There may be very... I mean, yoga is in real time. Such difficult challenges people go through. I mean, if you read the lives of those who have gone through, it is not a cakewalk by any means because it's a whole transformation of nature. But surrendered person goes through it. This is what Sandit path is. You don't feel the pinch of it because you are walking on thorns but he is carrying you. So you don't get to know that, you know, there are really thorns because he is taking the thorns on himself. All around you are seeing thorns and you are wondering how you will go through. But you don't even realize and you are out of the thorns into the valley of flowers. So just remember and offer. This is the mool mantra of this yoga. Remember the Divine Mother and offer to her whatever, wherever, anywhere, everywhere. And that takes us. So we'll, we'll just take a break. I would uh, suggest that if we can write the questions so that we can go in sequence rather than, you know, uh, if a paper and pen can be provided here. It makes it easy. Uh, otherwise suddenly a random question may come in somewhere and it will be difficult to sort out. So please write and just leave it somewhere here. We'll meet after the break. <laughs>